My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is the Return to Embodiment. I'm talking with Roman Baca. Roman is a new Mexico native and classically trained as a ballet dancer and choreographer. In 2001, he chose to enlist in the Marines and served as a machine gunner and fire team leader in Fallujah, Iraq during the Iraq War. After the war, Roman returned to dance and co-founded the Exit 12 Dance Company, which tells veteran stories choreographically. His choreography explores the military veteran experience and the impact of war on civilians and families. He leads workshops and lectures to inspire critical conversations about war through the power of dance. Roman is currently doing a postgraduate fellowship at the Trinity Lavon Conservatory of Music and Dance in London, where he is focusing on choreography and continuing these themes. Most recently, Roman is working with the Creative Forces Project, an initiative of the National Endowment for the Arts in partnership with the Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs that seeks to improve the health, well-being, and quality of life for military and veteran populations through the arts. Roman offered workshops on the Intrepid, an aircraft carrier in New York Harbor. He invited military members and veterans on to the ship in which they turned on music, began to move, told stories, created and these experiences and explorations coalesced into a performance that they were able to offer on the hangar deck. I'm so grateful and excited to share this work with you. Welcome to the Return to Embodiment. Roman, where we first met was, I want to say about 12 years ago, maybe even longer, 15. So where did we meet? I don't remember. So I learned about your work because I was super inspired by the um, integration that you were doing with your own experience in the military. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think I read an article and I reached out to you and you were very generous and <laughs> replied. <laughs> and then I came out to New York and I got to see your company. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. do, do a rehearsal. I was really wanting your work to be highlighted at the Dance Therapy Conference. It didn't work out for that to happen, but um, now I can highlight it myself in this context. <laughs> that had to be like 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. Yeah, it was a while ago. And are you in New York? So I, I split my time between New York and London. Um, I did my master's here in London, uh, where I am currently, and uh, started a PhD looking even further in the direction of uh, how the performing arts 
storytelling um, dialogue can help military veterans. I'm in London. I just got back from New York. We did a two month project in New York with um, the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum as a partner where we brought together uh, 14 military veterans or military connected individuals and uh, some refugees from war. So Iraq, Afghanistan, um, the Ukraine. And we, through a series of workshops, created a, a dance piece that we performed um, on the Intrepid Royal Day weekend for an, a, a, an invited audience alongside uh, the company as well. We created some new pieces for the company. Um, yeah, so I split my time between New York and London. I think one of the things that you were playing with at the time, 10 years ago, was something along these lines where you had um, support groups, workshops, where veterans would come in and write, and then your company would do a movement response that would eventually become a performance. So we've fully integrated the veteran workshop piece into what we do. Um, we've over the years found that it not only is it um, a good thing to do to bring the veterans in and to make their experience real for audiences, but that the people we work with have a, an amazing response to the work through my master's in fine arts at Trinity Laban in choreography, and then through the beginning of my PhD, um, what I've been able to do is find workshop elements, ways of working in the workshops that kind of elicit ways of working with what the body remembers from service or what the body remembers from trauma. And then using um, movement, using imagination, using vocalization, creative writing, and uh, community to start to heal those things or start to move past them. Yeah, so the impact of the work is really powerful for the participants. And then it also has this opportunity to translate beyond those to others through through yeah. the performance that they can that others who may relate to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Creative Forces. So um, there is a national initiative uh, that started with Americans for the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts of um, a framework of art and healing within the military continuum. Initial imaginings of conferences and roundtables was an initiative to place creative arts therapists within the VA system around the nation with the intention of understanding that the clinical creative is not the only answer for uh, service members who are impacted by service, by war, and that the community connection is really important. So last year they opened up a community grant for entities that were working within this population. And when we thought about applying, one of the things that was happening was the U.S. was exiting Afghanistan. And the veteran response to the exit was very charged. Um, and it kind of made me think back to when the U.S. left Iraq and how charged 
that was and how Iraq was left to, to ISIS and Afghanistan was led to the Taliban. And then to compound things, the invasion of Ukraine happened and veterans rose up again and said, this is wrong, we need to do something. So you have all of this energy. And I thought, what if we put that energy into a room? What if we bring members of the military community and members of the refugee community together and start talking about the, their experiences? Um, a couple of years back, a playwright by the name of Lola Arias from Argentina created a work called Minefield, where she got th a, a few UK military veterans who served in the Falklands War, the UK Falk Argentinian Falklands War, and a couple veterans from Argent Argentina and did the similar thing, put them in a room and had them talk about their experiences. And we can imagine like, these are combatants on both sides of the war and they're talking and they're creating and they're giving their narrative to each other. And of course it was very charged, very tense and very angry at the beginning. But what came out of that was this beautiful play called Minefield where they talk about their experiences, but then they're all musicians as well. So they break out into Beatles songs in, you know, certain instances of the play. And it helped, I think, the at least combatants on the ground understand that they had more in common than they had differences. Um, and that although there was this big political action and this war that took place and these bad feelings on both sides, that when they were in a room together, like they could express their hurt, they could express the trauma, they could express um, how they were impacted personally on a very human level to each other and at least start to work towards understanding. So I kind of launched off of that example and tried to do something um, in in a similar way, but with the current conflicts that were going on. Yeah, so you um, were inspired by, by Minefield, brought people into a room where there was an encounter of, of humanity layers of encounter happening. And the, I think the difference is, is Minefield is very verbatim theater, right? So they stand up, they deliver monologues uh, about their experiences. The Beatles song act as like these little kind of, um, kind of like Moby Dick, you know, like Ahab's story was bookended by stories of a whale because Norman Melville thought talking about Ahab for, you know, 200 pages would get boring for the audience. So the whale offers kind of a, um, a respite for the audience. And I think that's what the music did as well, you know, to further humanize the experiences, to give the audience breathing room and room for reflection. Uh, we are dealing particularly with music and dance and trying to communicate very complicated ideas just using movement. Um, and so that was our challenge for this project. Mm -hmm. How um, how does the Laban work um, inform how you tell story? So I did my Master's of Fine Arts uh, with a Fulbright grant in London at the Trinity Laban Conservatory of Music and Dance. And um, the way that study is done at the postgraduate level in the UK is a lot different than the US, um, particularly within a conservatoire. And so I was studying conserva I was studying choreography. Um, we didn't do 
a lot of Laban work. Uh, most of my Laban work was done in my undergrad. Um, and so what we were actually doing in my master's of fine arts study was investigating how I do my practice, how what my choreographic practice is, and then taking that practice further by going in either further directions that I decided to go in or risky experimental directions that uh, my supervisor and I came up with um, blew open what is possible in terms of um, creating choreographic work, how to create choreographic work. And the reverberations on the work that I create have been extremely powerful. Um, there was an instance of research where in order to further understand my impact uh, or the impact of war on me particularly, I did a durational performance where I dug up a hole on the Laban lawn over and over and over again for two days. Um, dug it up, filled it in, dug it up, filled it in. Full military kit, um, a small uh, military sized shovel. At certain instances, audience members who were either walking by or engaging via uh, live stream could ask questions about service or about my experiences in the Marines. Um, and so it kind of opened up this period of investigation that inspired this project where I created a, a participatory um, immersive project where we took audiences on the journeys of four military individuals who were in, wounded in war and dancers embodied their experience, they embodied their stories, they engaged the audience through vocalization um, and led them around uh, this path of um, a huge field. And through following them, um, the audience gained a greater and deeper understanding of, of the human impact of war, how, how, what war does to one person which I think is seldom understood by the unconnected civilian populace. It seems like war very often, there, it, it, it's such a, I'm having trouble even putting words to it right now. It's such a big thing. So something that's been with us as a civilization in, since um, the beginning of time. What's, what's really interesting to me about what you just shared was that idea of excavating your own experience and allowing that to be part of a new process of choreography that pushes the boundaries of what is possible. Yeah. First of all, when you when you described digging and filling in a hole over the course of two days, there was so much that came up for me of, oh, the work the effort, the futility, the grief of having to do this again. There are layers to it that came up just in hearing that. And then when you said that people could ask you a question, I was struck by how generous that is. An opportunity for someone to ask a question that they may have thought but there isn't a forum there isn't a place where someone's saying hey come ask me a question about what this how this 
military service has impacted my life. So I just wanted to just celebrate like, wow, the work that you're doing right now. Yeah, I, you know, digging in the military has several functions. So it not only serves as a utility, you know, for digging fighting holes, for digging sleeping holes, for fortifying positions, but it was also used punitively. Um, people who did stuff wrong were made to fill sandbags with dirt um, or to go dig a fighting hole for no reason other than to dig a fighting hole. Uh, and so you connect it back to the military experience with something that was very military oriented, but wasn't necessarily what people would connect with the military, like, you know, the combat or, or the use of weapons or, you know, stuff that is definitely recognizable military. Um, but then, like you said, you know, every word you said can be connected to the military experience, futility, work, um, exhaustion of doing it over and over and over again. And then you open up that forum to the questions coming at the individual, the individual is me, when the individual is exhausted and tired and probably this is the last thing they want to be doing, it opened up a space for greater reflection and greater recollection and um, a more honest delivery of, of kind of answers to the questions. Yeah, and dance sometime has been treated very precious on a stage, you know, in a theater where having it be on the lawn, connected with dirt, having that be a dance performance, bringing dance directly yeah. into the community. Bringing dance directly to the community and connecting with the things around us, almost in a site-specific way, but going beyond it. We, um, we did one of the pieces uh, that we have in the company in Cardiff, Wales, at a veteran festival. And it just so happened, like, they didn't have a proper stage for uh, the performer to dance on. And what the performer was dancing was this piece we have in the repertoire that was choreographed by myself and uh, a, a ballerina who used to dance with the Suzanne Farrell Company in Washington, D.C. And it was this kind of um, investigation of life after service. And so the dancer starts in full um, camouflage utilities from the camouflage cover all the way down to, you know, the trousers, marches into the performance space, which at this time was this club, this marked off space of dirt and grass. And they start this marching pattern, or, and then they take off the whole military uniform, fold it up and put it in front of them. And they're left in a, a white, a pristine white leotard and white skirt, as if this angel emerged out of the, out of the uniform. But then through this dance of kind of movement and embodiment and some kind of groundwork, the leotard starts to get sullied with the soil. Um, and at the end, like there's white and there's black and there's brown and there's green all over. And it's this opportunity to kind of jostle the audience's imagination by interacting with, with, the, with the space. Um, you know, we were talking about working with the Creative Forces Project. Instead of, you know, taking the participants and creating this in a proper dance studio and then performing on a proper stage, we did all of the workshops on the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum, which is an aircraft carrier in New York Harbor. So you have military members coming 
onto this massive weapon of war. Some of them had served on similar ships and we're going all the way into the back of the ship into what they call the great hall and has these big picture windows. Every night when we started at 6.30, it would be sunset. And so you have the sunset just cascading in and we turn on music and we start moving and start creating and start dancing. And we had the opportunity to, you know, transform these experiences by transforming the space as well. And then when we performed, we performed in the hangar deck and we transformed this hangar deck that was built to hold fighter airplanes into a performance location where the audience sat and watched dance and heard poetry being read and heard uh, a snippet of Antigone, uh, the classic Greek play about war. And then we talked about it and talked about impact. Such exciting work. Yeah, so spaces themselves um, transforming the work and how it lands and then also the, the dance transforming the spaces. Um, my, my grandfather was in the military. He was a naval officer and they used to do plays back in the day. Yeah, they did. They would do performances, which is just so amazing to me. When you do a performance, whether it's theater or it's dance, there's this quality of relying on one another, working together, telling a story, having each other's back, coordinating. Um, yeah. yeah, if you can imagine, you know, the participants when they've never experienced us before and they come onto a ship and they're going to work with us and, you know, they pause and they're like, I can't dance. And I said, maybe not. However, in the military, you learned choreographed movement. Then you rehearsed that choreographed movement. And then you performed that choreographed movement either in the theater of war or in military operations or in uh, movements. This is nothing that's so far removed from that. You're just going to learn different choreographed movement. Some of it you'll know, some of it you won't. You're going to rehearse it and then we're going to perform it on a different, in a different theater on a different stage. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just bringing the accessibility of it. I hear that phrase, like, I don't dance all the time. And then I have to settle and, and go, yeah, well, okay. And you're in a body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're in a body. So there is a dance of life happening. And yeah. whether we own it or not is the question. Yeah, absolutely. So how is embodiment to you? You know, over the years, I think, embodiment for me has changed. Um, I think it had a definite meaning before my MFA and then the MFA kind of took it further, particularly in the somatic direction, looking where the body stores stuff, where, you know, recollection happens, how the body learns, um, and kind of embarking on my PhD and focusing more in on you know, what's happening, particularly in the veteran space um, with the veteran suicide epidemic, um, there's a lot of questions that are really unanswered, um, particularly the question around who's affected 
by suicidal tendencies post-service? And where does that trauma come from? And a lot of things that I've been looking at are that, you know, it's not necessarily someone who has experienced war because there's a couple complicated things about war. When an individual is deployed to war, they may or not, they may or may not be directly in combat. Um, if an individual is in combat or is fired upon, usually, and this is a usual, um, usually it lasts for a couple minutes, um, not very long. Uh, there are other examples that are longer, but they're anomalies. And so you have these little pockets of impact that are understood to cause this huge veteran suicide epidemic. But what I think, you know, keying back on that military members all learn choreographed movement, they all perform the choreographed movement. If we go back to that example and we look even deeper into that and we say, well, like a dancer, what is a service member's career? It is almost all training, then the opportunity to perform is extremely small. And so I'm looking deeper into how individuals are impacted through military training, through training the body by repetitive movement, by exposure to um, sounds, by exposure to vocalization, by exposure of imagination of the perceived enemy. Um, and how the combination of that creates a very real environment for the body to soak up all of this um, for what the body knows is real. The simulated machine gun exercises during, or noises during an exercise, the simulated uh, combat techniques, the simulated firing, the simulated missions, the body is soaking up as real. So then the question becomes, how long does that stay and what does the body do with that? Um, there's some kind of studies out there that say infantry soldiers, when they go through training, develop better sight, better hearing, uh, better reaction time, um, and a sixth sense for danger uh, just by training, not even being in combat, just through training. How long does that last? And then how can we either put something on top of that training that kind of moves the person away from that? Or how can we use similar techniques of movement, imagination, vocalization, and sound to move veterans in particular to a different place and, and positively impact healing and well-being and mental health within their lives? That's so amazing, Ramon, with embodiment for veterans the body is the site of the discipline. And then the imagination and the anticipation of uh, battle, of um, having one's life uh, at risk, needing to protect others, um, creating a kind of um, climate and it's a shared climate, right? Because it's it's this mission, like this is what needs to get done. We all need to be on the same page. We wanna all go home. We need to survive this. Yeah. That uh, climate, that 
culture that is created then when these service members come home it's like a deprogramming like life after service you said like what if we'd used the same tools but moved it out of that focus on the war and into what is it like to be back in the world back in my community uh, reprogram that imaginal imaginal place using the body once again using the environment and the place of the body it's such a concrete site to make an intervention right yeah and to change the possibilities absolutely yeah absolutely a focus it's yeah really, it's really beautiful to give you an example of how this works in real time um my language that i choose to talk about it is is funny because i, I was going to say that we were surprised with how powerful this was we weren't really however being in the moment it's a, it's astonishing um you you have examples like um this one veteran that was working with us for the very first time um we gave everyone in the room there were you know 14 people 16 people in the room they all have the same kind of um directive that we create these gestures based on their name to re-inspire their identity and their feeling of self-affirmation because one of the things the military does right in the outset is take a per individual's identity and totally change it um, from the very clothes they wear to the way they move to the way they think to the way they talk um, to the way they do daily tasks um, you know we're we're giving back their name and the importance of their name is that first stepping stone to kind of rediscovery and reaffirmation of self and then we take that bigger we take that further and we have them create a, a what we call a name phrase so this big kind of series of gestures made with the whole body um, it could be a dance maybe eight counts um, a movement phrase if you're a dancer and know or are familiar with the term movement phrase um, kind of making it bigger and making it use the whole body and move in space. Um, and so it, on the Intrepid, everyone's kind of working away. And over in the corner is this one veteran that is working with us for the first time. And they're just standing there with their hands uh, clasped together like they were praying. Their lips were touching their index finger and they were in this introspective, very like thoughtful kind of space. And I walked over and, and I asked if I could help because often when people are in that space, they're, they're kind of stuck, if you will. Um, and this person looked at me and said, Ramon, I, I don't know how to do what you're asking. Um, all I know how to do is what the military taught me. I know military movements and I don't know how to create the movement you want. It's funny because 11 years ago, we had a similar reaction from a veteran who's been working with us since then. Um, you know, and the way we do deal with that is, you know, the, I just looked at them and I said, that's okay. Let's start there. You learned this choreographed movement in the military. Let's use it here. Um, why don't you just use what you know and create a movement phrase um, and it's yours. And so they kind of created this phrase that is a, a, a an embodiment of close quarter combat range techniques with a, with a rifle and a sidearm. 
where they start patrolling with the rifle. Um, the rifle is slung around the body so it can be dropped and it just hangs from a sling and the sidearm can be drawn and they can continue to advance on the target. And so it's very crouched motion. The body, the body is very like low in profile, so it's not a big target for the enemy. Um, the weapon is very close to the body, so it can be operated um, at very accurately and efficiently. And then when the weapon change is made, it's done very rapidly. Um, and then of course the pistol is held in this in a similar manner. But then um, going back to the dance studio, right? Then we take the individual and we partner them with other individuals and we have them teach their movement phrase to everyone else. So we're creating this, we're starting to create this dance. He paired this individual with the individual I told you about who in 2011 had the same issue. And so now you're seeing this come full circle where there's this introduction of this very military movement. And then um, the other older veteran is kind of showing this movement of moving beyond and and kind of exhaustion and then um, giving up and release and then exhaustion again. So the veteran with the military movement being able to see what's possible and how they can move from their movement to imagination and creativity and a feeling of emotion and togetherness and community. So um, it was such... It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful in the moment. One of the one of the principles in dance movement therapy is kinesthetic empathy, right? And that's what you're doing. You're creating yeah. dyads where there's some mirroring process. There's some trying on of another's movement, inhabiting for a moment another person's shoes. Another concept that we use a lot is is the concept of body authority. Right. In a lot of cases, people lose that sense of body authority, returning to them that sense of, oh, my breath can inhabit this movement. Right. Like starting sometimes as as basic as that, like my breath can inhabit this differently. And then the, the dyad being such a generous way of interacting toward change towards yeah. development and safe risk-taking um, to reconnect with that body authority and see one's movement on somebody else and see how it can be transformed. It's just such, such brilliant and beautiful work. Thank you, yeah. And such brave individuals to, to go there. Yeah, so brave. Now, was dance always your first love? What led you into the military? And did you get to dance in the military? Like how, how did you, did you sometimes like do a little shoulder shimmy as you're walking? I don't know, you know, like probably not. <laughs> it's, it's fun. So I was a dancer before I joined the military. I started dancing at the end of high school. Um, did a couple musicals, fell in love with ballet, studied ballet at the professional level, um, worked as a professional ballet dancer for a couple of years. What I struggled with was one, finding purpose within the work. Um, as a professional ballet dancer, you're doing the same works over and over and over again. And you know, while 
you could probably find meaning in like Swan Lake or Sleeping Beauty. I was younger and I was like, why are we doing these? Why don't we do work that like is new or tells a new story or connects with people or, you know, that I connect with emotionally. It was hard to find. Um, one of the other things I struggled with was um, the general perception of male dancers within the public and the bullying that happened um, amongst uh, my community to kind of push against those. I was like, well, what can I do that would both give me a sense of purpose and could also challenge people's perceptions of what a male dancer can be? Um, and I thought, well, the military would answer both of those. And then I thought like, what's the hardest, one of the hardest branches to go into. And for me, that was the Marines. And I thought, well, you know, if I can make it through Marine Corps boot camp and I can earn the title Marine, and then the Marines could give me the opportunity and the tools to go help people, that that will be fulfilling for me. And so uh, I joined in 2000, right before 9-11. Um, I was a enlisted infantryman, oper operated a, a weapon system that basically blows up tanks, uh, served in Fallujah, Iraq for um, a little over six months during um, the Iraq war and saw both the kind of combat patrol side and the humanitarian side of the way the military operates, um, which was eye-opening. And you asked, did I dance during my Marine Corps career? I tried to keep it under wraps a lot of the time. Um, I think my platoon would have, you know, they kind of raise an eyebrow when we had like Marine Corps ball when it's like prom, but for Marines every year, um, I would break out like a swing dance on the dance floor or something. They'd be like, wow, that box, he's, he's interesting. Um, <laughs> but I'd also sneak away every once in a while and coach or teach or take class. Um, in Iraq, it was the first time like I started to talk to people about my performing career because I was really interested in dance in Iraq. And so I, I would ask our, our interpreters about it. And the Marines were like, why are you so interested in that stuff? And I was like, well, you know, I used to be in plays, used to be on Broadway. <laughs> um, I'm a ballerina. <laughs> and then, yeah, I'll tell you, my guys are just like the, the coolest dudes in the world. Like they're really supportive. They're still supportive to this day. Um, one of them, my roommate did like eight shows with us when we came back because I needed a Marine to come on stage with us. And he was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, guys I've never, I haven't heard from in years, you know, signed on to see the intrepid live stream. And they were like, dude, this is awesome. It's hard to explain to people, but when they see it, they kind of get it. Um, so yeah, it, it was an interesting transition out of the military. Um, I went back to the arts primarily to heal myself, to investigate those things that we did overseas, put them on stage and to shake them loose. And that grew into realizing that my stories weren't the only stories that needed to be told or investigated and that there were more people that needed to be involved in this work. And so we started inviting people, as you saw, into the dance studio. Oh, I love this. As a kid, were you a dancer? Like, did your, did your community when you were growing up, your family, like, value the arts dance? My mom taught me the hustle. I come from a, a, a very traditional Hispanic family in New Mexico, and art is very important to our family. 
Um, and dancing was very important to our family. Not trained concert dance, but, you know, at weddings, there was always about the ranchera that everybody did. There was the marcha. Um, my mom was very much into social dancing when I was young. And so the inspiration was there. Um, we moved away from New Mexico for my high school years. And so, like, the family moved away from, like, that space. But I think going back to dance for me and training directed in professional way felt right. I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. When you were talking about uh, men in the world of dance, you noted that it can be a very, um, I think you use the word bullying, like it can be a really oh, sure. hard yeah, place for men. Um, and then when you were talking about the military, I was anticipating something similar. And then you you actually said, no, these these guys were like curious about it. Like, what's <laughs> what's with this swing thing you do? But they were accepting, and yeah. um, that's a really a really touching thing just to hear that. Um, when a couple of years ago, we had an article written by the Marine Corps Times, which is the military's a newspaper, and they wrote about the company. They wrote about the work that we do with military veterans. And they wrote about my history about being a dancer, ballet dancer particularly. And of course they posted it to like Facebook, the army time. So each, the military times is the big newspaper. And then each branch has their own specific publication. Like there's the army times, air force times, Marine Corps times, et cetera. And so they posted the story to their Facebook pages and as you can imagine, the trolls came out and they started to talk very disparagingly and very insultingly about, you know, a male dancer being a Marine and all these, you know, derogatory statements. And one of the most inspiring things was um, my Marines jumping into the chat and saying, no, we served with him. You misunderstand. And it was, it was incredible. I served with some really, really good human beings. It's wonderful. Um, you were a dancer, but you kind of were missing a sense of purpose or like, why are we doing the Swan Lake? And so you intentionally went into military service because it would give you that um, purpose. And then when you came out, you started by, um, sharing your like moving moving your stuff out on stage and then it became this process where because you saw the benefit and the healing of that you started to say let's create opportunities and so now when i was on your website there are so many different opportunities like not everybody has to dance too right like you can actually write <laughs> which might be more comfortable for some people as an entry to the arts um uh, but there's these these opportunities to come and to do something creative that helps with that transition from military to back into the community and and have it be um, held by people who understand 
and have gone through that journey and have used creative process in order to get there. At the very beginning, you were talking about the work that that you're currently doing, which is still excavating your own work, you know, and so just honoring that this is going to be a lifelong practice and those creative processes and the community are going to be supportive of that uh, process as long as it, you know, as long as you want to engage it. Gosh, I hope so. Um, and primarily because, especially through this project, we, we, we keep on seeing the impact, but this project was the first time we had a long period to spend with the individuals. So, you know, when you, you came and visited, we had like two workshops. Mm -hmm. um, we've had residencies in like Austin where we've had a week, um, which was really like three days. And then there's two days of rehearsal and performance. Um, but this is the first time we had eight standalone workshops, two hours a piece. And then on top of that had a dress rehearsal and a performance. And so we're meeting these individuals every week and we're spending time with them and we're sharing and we're creating. And when you take that and you spend that amount of time with these individuals, the impact comes to the top is bigger. And we had some amazing, amazing, um, just what they shared of how it impacted them was incredible. So that individual I told you about before, um, the, the older gentleman that started with us in 2011, uh, his name's Everett, served in the Vietnam War. He tells the story about this rocket attack that happened. Um, it was the worst day of his life in Vietnam. And he had this image of himself, as we all do, of what we would do if something like that happened. It's funny, amongst Marines, there's almost this sentiment of like, you don't know what you're going to do during an attack until the attack happens. You can say all the stuff you want in your brain, but at the end of the day, the body is going to respond how the body wants to respond. And so Everett talks about, you know, being completely petrified and not being able to respond in the way he had imagined during this attack. And it's haunted him. It's absolutely haunted him for his whole life. And so in the workshops, we gave the participants this directive of drawing what we call a life map, where they take a single line and they draw a map as if they were drawing, as if they were walking a map of their life. And at certain inflection points where events happened, maybe the line diverts, goes crazy, goes circuitous. Um, and so you have this basic like map that people can walk. So then once their map is done, they are to walk the map in the space and self-narrate their life journey. And their life journey can start wherever they want it to and it can end wherever they want it to. It doesn't have to be like, I was born. Um, yeah, yeah. Once that is done, we create groups again and we have the groups physically connect. So they can grab an elbow of another person, they can grab a shoulder, they can grab a hand. And now you have this connected group led by one person going through their life journey. That one person can either narrate, can narrate whispering, or choose not to narrate if they don't want and just take these people on their journey. Um, 
they've probably put movements at the inflection points for emphasis or for investigation. And you have this kind of beautiful thing where these people are experiencing another person's life tangibly. And Everett, as part of this journey, decided to recreate the most horrific thing that ever happened to him. He decided to recreate the, the rocket attack. And we didn't know this at all um, when we were creating until he sent us a reflection and told us about it. And he said, I was petrified. However, this time I had people with me and I wasn't alone. I had people supporting me and connected to me that could help me through it. That reflection from him was so powerful. But then he went on to share that he uh, ha recently had a meeting with his, um, his counselor at the VA, who for the first time that he can remember, degraded him from a high suicide risk for the first time. This is the impact that we're having. And like you said, it's a, it's a lifelong calling. Wow, wow. That's amazing. Um, what, what, what was the person's name? It's Everett? Everett. Yeah. He's shared his story many, many, many times in many different ways and has also given us permission to share. You said one of the things that was really nice was having the time. Maybe a shorter workshop would just be that first phase <clears throat> rather than the second phase where you can have people who go along the journey with you. And whether or not he even expressed to others the intensity of what he was sharing, he still felt it. And then he still had the experience of being supported in and through it. It's this beautiful yeah. space of the nonverbal and the somatic and movement. There is something different about traveling a journey and allowing your body to move through it rather than yeah. sitting in the journey <laughs> and being frozen in the journey, right? <clears throat> so there was even in that opportunity, uh, a way for him to move out of a freeze response into motion and support. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, so what's on the horizon for you? It's, it's interesting. Um, taking all this research back into my PhD to kind of flesh it out and see what direction the research goes into next. Um, I'm also working with a group in the UK that works with military veterans through the arts. Uh, they do a, a, a wider offering for the military community. So we're running painting workshops, theater workshops, movement workshops. Um, and so learning more about the international and global veteran community through work like that. Um, but I think what we want to do is to continue to do work like we did with the Intrepid, to continue to bring veterans into the space and have these transformative experiences. Um, it's proven to be extremely valuable, um, not only for the veteran participants and the military connected participants, but we performed it in front of an audience and then had a dialogue with the audience. And the audience was able to ask questions, make reflections. Veterans were able to kind of peel back the onion and give them a picture of what, you know, the impact was. And um, being able to do that 
uh, in the long form that we did it would just do more good. Mm -hmm. Roman, I'm so I'm so glad to have had this conversation with you and I'm so uh, impressed by your journey and where it's taken you and grateful for you sharing your time with me today. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Was is there any other questions or anything else that feels like it would want to be said? We do this work um, and it's not clinical. However, we're thinking therapeutically when we're doing it. We're thinking um, empathetically. And so the, the opportunity to come and kind of talk about it and talk about the impact um, with you has been great, uh, particularly because it it helps flesh out ideas and and further underline the impact, which has been a lot of fun. So thanks for that. Yeah, you're so welcome. You know, it's it's interesting how we create all these distinctions, you know, between what's clinical and 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 what's not. And there's a lot of you know reasons. I don't want anyone to get like up in arms. Like, yeah, we we have the boundaries of the clinical for very good reason. This is a community effort, and it's also connected to the community of the military specifically, but. If we look back into indigenous culture, yeah. what you're doing has a really strong basis, right? And the power of reintegration through movement is something that um, shouldn't be reserved for people who go, who see a therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's also in the spirit of creative forces, uh, the national initiative in that their dream behind making this community engagement grant was to signpost for people who'd been through the clinical to say, well, you're not just done with your artistic creative journey here. Like there's community engagement, there's community groups that are doing things that you can participate in. And to go further than that, we understand that that journey might be cyclical. It might go from the clinical to the creative and back to the clinical. And then hopefully back to the creative. Um, it's it's a it's a journey, and it's a journey that isn't the same for everyone. And I think that is particularly the power of the arts is we can unearth what it means for the individual, and we can unpack what it means for the individual, and we can support the individual. Um, we don't transform thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, we transform a few and then that few reverberate and start to impact others it's cyclical and it's but it's also um three-dimensional because there's a transformation happening within the community like even through our conversation what is possible to be held when we come together is very different than what we yeah. We're able to hold as an individual, even with our own individual creative process. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so drawing upon the creative process, the body and this community connectedness and uh, like family, like having each other's back, like all of those good things that come along with being part of the military, um, that is part of the healing, right? Your work is kind of like gathering these elements together. If this was a model that could be replicated, 
it could start to shift how we think about yeah. people returning from war. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're talking about what we're thinking about, you know, how can we start to teach this model and start to create more of this happening where we can't physically go. So exciting. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to hear what happens next. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Again, thanks for having me. Thank you to Roman Baca for courageously bringing dance, embodiment, and creative process into a space for veterans, for exploring how his own movement related to his ability to reintegrate within his life post-war and offering that back to his community as an invitation. Thank you to Josie Rothwell for the opening credits and Aaron Kate Dunnick for the closing credits. Thank you to the Embodied Education Institute of Chicago, which offers dance movement therapy training. And thank you to my listeners who've given me the most precious gift of their time. I'm Kim Rothwell, and I'm welcoming you to the Return to Embodiment.